welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Ephesians chapter 4, we want to uh, come to this last section of uh, chapter 4. We've been looking at this theme of the new life that we have in Christ. And beginning there in verse 17, we saw that um, admonition to where he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And we've come now to the section where he's going to make that very practical for us. He's going to give us some admonitions related to this new life that we have in Christ. If you remember last time, he beginning there in verse 17, we saw that he described the condition of the lost world, the hopelessness that um, exists in the world without Christ. And then from verse 20 through 24, we saw this identification, or he, he's describing this new life that we have in Christ, this new identity that we have in Christ as a, as a transformation of life, uh, or you could say transformation into life. And that is something to be practiced and that it's God-like, he says in verse 20, 24, and to put off the and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so now as we come to um, verse 25 down through the end of the chapter, uh, we see these uh, admonitions of certain things that we should do and certain things that we should not do. And it's, it's important for us to realize that there is a difference between just being moral uh, or having an outward morality and one that comes from within, from the, the, the inward work of the Holy Spirit as we walk in obedience to Him. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13 speaks to that, where Paul writes, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And so as we see these admonitions like this section where do this and don't do that, uh, it, it's important to realize that outward morality, just doing these things, is something that can, that to some degree at least, can be done in the power of the flesh. Uh, an unsaved person can discipline himself to do certain things and not do certain things. Uh, and it may look good to us, to others around us, it, but it's not something that is produced by the Holy Spirit. It's it's like the righteousness of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. You remember the many confrontations that Christ had with them. And, and in Matthew 5 and, and verse 20, when uh, Jesus, remember the Sermon on the Mount, in the middle of that, he says, For I tell you, unless the, your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and the people must have been shocked by such a statement. Because who could be more righteous than the Pharisees? I mean, they're just... They're just totally given over to do this and don't do that, and this is how you must do this. And, but, but you see, in their minds, they were thinking righteousness meant doing. But <clears throat> the Scriptures is, uh, makes it very clear for us that we don't become righteous by doing. Uh, one cannot become righteous no matter how much effort they put into it, no matter how good they are morally. Rather, we do right because we are righteous. In other words, because of the, the work of God in us, the, the righteousness of Christ that's put to our account, because of that, we are able to follow Him and obey Him 
in righteousness. So it's important to, to see that distinction. There must be this transforming work of uh, the Spirit of God within us. Uh, we must be walking with Him in obedience, dependent upon Him uh, to enable us and to help us. And in Ephesians 4, verse 25, and through down through verse 32, Paul gives five negative and positive admonitions, and he supports that with a, a motivational statement. In other words, there's, there's the put on and the put off commands together with a supporting statement of, of some kind to, to encourage us. And, and four of these five uh, couple, couplets, you could say, uh, are about speech and anger. And the odd man out in this section is verse 28, which has to do with putting off stealing and putting on hard work. There in verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And stealing is just one of the many actions that reveal a problem in the heart. Uh, It is part and partial of the old sinful self. And the admonition here is to someone who is able and has the opportunity to work, but chooses rather to steal. And in whatever form it might be, uh, we must put that off. That can't be part of the believer's life. Paul reminds the elders at Ephesus of his own example in Acts 20, in verse uh, 33 to 35. And and it's interesting to note that here in this passage, Paul is talking to um, the lower class, really. It could be the middle class in their day, but uh, the laborers, as he talks about doing honest work or working with your own hands, the the intelligent of that day, those that prided themselves did not do manual labor. They thought that was beneath them. And, but the Jews, they taught their children to have a trade, to do work, even if they were, even if they were educated. And so the Lord is encouraging uh, labor. He's encouraging hard work, working with your hands, um, being, being, um, being someone who is uh, diligent. Notice in Acts 20, beginning of verse 33, Paul, and you remember Paul, he in many ways provided for his own income through trade that he had, he had learned. Notice he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so that's what uh, this admonition is about. It's, uh, it's about working so that we can have to share as the Lord provides and makes it possible for us to do so. Well, as I said, the other, other commands here in this section have to do or related to communication. And as you see here, he's, he's, he's thinking about uh, sinful communication, anger-related communication, uh, that which must be put off and that which must be put in its place. So let's notice, first of all, he says, put away lying and put on truth in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And I don't need to tell you that in our society, lying is all pervasive. It is, it is such a part of the fabric of society that one wonders if... Um, Everyone had to tell the truth if our society would survive. <laughs> I mean, can, can life exist without deception and lying? Uh, 
Uh, it has become the norm as you think about the business world, the politics, uh, even in every facet of life, lying has become accepted as just that's the way we do business. That's the way it has to be. And it is one of the ways in which uh, you can really identify or one is identified with the world, the flesh, and the devil, lying. In John 8, the Pharisees were in conflict with what Jesus was saying and the claims that he was making about himself. He had told them that if you believe in me, he would set them free from their sin. And uh, they didn't seem to think they needed to be set free. And uh, they were rejecting Christ's words. And in uh, verse 43, this is John 8, Verse 43, he says, why do you not understand what I say? Then he proceeds to tell them why they don't understand. He said, it's because you uh, cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you will, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And so you see the source of lying and how Satan, through his influence in the world, in society, and in the lives of those without Christ, lying, deception, hidden agendas, all falsehood is of the old self. It's of the world. And it must be put off out of the life of the believer. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood. And it's interesting here in the, the ESV translation, and I think um, one, one other one that I looked at uh, puts this aorist participle, or really emphasizes the aorist participle here of this putting away as in the past. In other words, it's, it's something that, um, as we, we talked about last time, this, this putting off was something that took place when we put our faith and trust in Christ and this putting on this identification with Christ. And here, uh, this putting away of falsehood was something that we did when we put our faith in Christ. We put away the, that which was false, uh, the lie of Satan, which says there's multiple ways to get to God. The lie of Satan that says, you know, if you're a good person or if you're religious or if you're a faithful member of a church, that's, that's all that's required. The lie that, uh, says, well, you can believe in Jesus, but uh, you also can continue living in your sin and just the way you were before. Uh, these, these lies that um, the world holds, uh, that many of them, them that we believe, we put off when we put our faith and trust in Christ. We come to repentance, to agree with God about the truth, about who He is and who we are as sinners. And we, we turn to Him in faith. Um, John 1 John Chapter 2, verse 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And so this is, uh, this is the old life, the old way. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we put off lies. We put off falsehood. And as we move forward in our life with him, we must continually put it off. We must continue to put off the lies because, because of the flesh, we are tempted to continue in old habits of communication, old habits of thinking, and so we must continue to put it off. Uh, he <clears throat> says that um, we are to put something in its place. As all of these put off commands, there's a put on. He says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Uh, 
you know, we, we should be truthful. We should be speaking the truth with everyone. But here Paul has in mind the context of the church family. He says, with your neighbor. And he, he identifies what he means by that when he says, we are members one of another. Telling the truth begins at home, or it should be, begin at home, with our relationships, the husband-wife relationship, parent-child, the siblings. And it must also be the norm within the believing family, the body of Christ, that we, as, as part of who we are in Christ, are truthful, live in the truth, communicate the truth towards each other. Colossians 3, 9, the parallel passage, he says there, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Well, secondly, he says, put away sinful anger and put on righteous anger. And that, that sounds a bit strange to us, doesn't it? It's because we almost always associate anger with sinful emotions and actions. And it's because, uh, because of the flesh, it usually is. The word anger uh, automatically for us has this sinful connotation, this wrong connotation. But in and of itself, it's not necessarily wrong or sinful. <clears throat> Verse um, 26 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And some have taken this to mean that, well, if you get angry, don't sin. But that doesn't seem to be at all what he's saying here because the, the admonition, be angry, is an imperative. It's a, it's a command. And so what, what uh, he, ha- he has in mind evidently here is a righteous anger. He often used the terminology, a righteous indignation. Indignation sounds better, doesn't it, <laughs> than anger. <laughs> but it's still talking about this emotional reaction that we have to sin or wrong. It's this energy from within that, we, that, that kind of swells up within us when we, when we see someone being mistreated or when um, something wrong is happening. And so if we think about um, the difference between sinful anger and a righteous anger, it has to do with the reason or the cause for the anger. If you think about what made Jesus angry, you realize it's because of man's rebellion against God. And it wasn't because he was um, being mistreated or for some self-centered reason. You see, the, 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 natu- the nature of, of sinful anger is self-serving. It, it's getting angry because uh, we don't get our way. Or, or something is done or said against us. And this is the anger that must be put off. Um, but, but even when our anger is justified, we must be careful. Because of the, the strong emotion of anger, we can easily allow the flesh to get the upper hand in our, in our actions and our thinking. And that's why he would say, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so we must use this energy of anger to do what is right. And it's many times that as we see wrong being done somewhere, we are to act upon that. We are to try to, to, to correct those wrongs. Uh, but we also need wisdom, don't we? We need the Spirit of God helping us. And if we're not careful, that feeling of anger, that energy can be exercised in a wrong way. And so we, we must be careful. We must be aware of its impact upon our own heart. When we allow uh, our minds to dwell upon the sin of something that, uh, 
that we should be concerned about, but we can't we can't allow our minds to just dwell on it and dwell on it. And 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 usually what happens to us is um, we get most angry when something's done against us <laughs> instead of instead of being concerned about God's name or God's word or others. Um, we we are often most offended or most angry when when it doesn't go our way or when we feel like we've not had the right reaction or we've not um, been heard or or maybe we've been mistreated in some way so we can't allow those that that emotion to dwell in our hearts and in our minds we we're admonished to go to if someone offends us or someone hurts us in some way, we, we are to, to go and reconcile with that person. We're, we're admonished to not dwell upon that and allow that to remain in our hearts. And he says here, to do so is to get, give the devil an opportunity. In other words, we give him a place. It's like, it's like leaving the door in your house ajar or, or not closing the gate to your property. When we lived in Cape Town, we had a security gate out at the road that um, didn't always close all the way. Get hit a bump or something or a piece of rock or something would get on the track and, and it would stop. And, and oftentimes, you know, you'd, you'd see it and go out there and clean it out of the way or something and let it close all the way. Well, one night we came in and, and um, closed the gate and I didn't look to see and it had stopped about halfway. And uh, next morning we get up and our, um, the tra- our trailer had been, been stolen. Someone had taken advantage. They took advantage of the opportunity they saw with this gate standing open. And, and that's the way it is if we don't resolve this emotion in our hearts. We, we leave the gate open of our heart and give Satan the opportunity to tempt us, to take from us. And um, we are warned in James um, 1, verse 19 and 20, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And here he's obviously using it in its negative, negative responses of anger, this emotion that causes us many times to, even when we're trying to do something good, we can, we can let this emotion cause us to, um, to be unkind, to be unloving, to try to do things in our own power. And uh, so we must re- be aware and be cautious of the impact of anger upon our life and how it's manifested upon the lives of those around us. Thirdly, he says, put away corrupting words and put on edifying words. Verse 29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This word corrupting here is a good translation because it was used of, um, uh, of fruit that had rotten, had gone off, or it was bad. And, um, and so is also speech that is rotten. There's a lot of speech around us that's rotten. It, it corrupts everyone who hears it. And so this, this corrupting or rotten talk, you, you all have heard it, you've been around it, uh, this, the cursing, the vulgar language, the crude, the indecent talk, all of that, but it's more than that. Corrupting talk is also the, the, the more acceptable kind of sinful talk. The talk like gossip, the grumbling, complaining. All of those kinds of um, sinful talking is uh, many times more acceptable. It, 
acceptable to us, that is. It's not acceptable to God. It must be put off, put out of our lives. This, this kind of talk comes out of a heart that's not living in the grace of God. It's not living in dependence upon God. It's, it's just allowing the circumstances to, to uh, corrupt our own heart. And then that corruption comes out. It comes out in the form of uh, complaining and moaning and putting other people down and all of the ways in which uh, we can talk sinfully. That's to be put away from us. The grace of God, power of God enabling us. And it, and it has to begin in the heart, doesn't it? You can't just say, well, I've got to change the way I say this. Uh, it, the change has to come from within the work of God in our hearts. You know, after being around some people for a while and hearing them talk, you feel like you've been drugged down into the sewage drain or something. It's just you, you feel like I need to go and um, renew my mind. Don't be that person. Be the person that um, has put that out and has put on uh, what we're going to see here in just a moment. He says, instead, the believer is to put on speech that is good, speech that builds up others according to their need or the need of the situation. Notice he says, only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. That phrase there, fits the occasion, is a translation of the word for need. He's talking about what their need is or what the need of the situation is. And it's the same word that was used in verse 28 when we're admonished to, to share with someone in need. And so here, the need that, that he's talking about is the need to build someone up, to encourage, to help. You know, just as our words have power to do harm, they have power to do good. And that's how God wants us to be. He wants us to be someone that uses the power of our, our words, our communication, to be an encouragement to others. Speaking the truth in love, he said earlier in verse 15. The genuine love governs our speech and guides us so that we can know what to say in a, in a given situation. Sometimes there are situations where uh, we know what is true, but at that moment, it doesn't need to be said, uh, maybe later. And so we, we need to speak uh, that which builds up. He continues and says that which edifies by giving grace. By being gracious. Gracious gives grace to those who hear. In Colossians 4, verse 6, he says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So there's an element of discernment here that we need as, as children of God, and the, the grace of God uh, enables us to know how that we need to, um, to speak to others. And um, many times as, as Christians... We, because we know what's true, we know what the Bible says, we don't think about being gracious. We just blast them with, we just hammer, hammer it, you know, on them and, and say, you know, you need to, you need to do this or you need to do that. Don't you know that that's sinful? Um, we do need to speak the truth, but we also need discernment and loving discernment and being gracious, don't we? And so that comes, uh, that comes by wisdom from God's Word and allowing God to change our hearts and to cause us to be more like He wants us to be. And so again, we have this admonition to, to be in step with the Holy Spirit of God, that our, that our hearts would be right with Him. And the reality is, if our hearts are not right with Him, our words are not going to be right either. I mean, we can fake it uh, for a little bit if our hearts are not right. But we get back home, husband-wife relationship, 
we can't we can't just maintain that false you know being nice we can fake it around people we want to you know impress but it, it comes out doesn't it? if our hearts are not right with god if we're not living in the grace of god our words are not going to be gracious when it comes pressure time when we're under stress and when when someone does something that irritates us it's under those pressure moments that are that that the reality of what's in our heart comes out our lack of patience our our intolerance the, the judgmentalism, all of that will come out in those two. And so we, we can recognize by our words that there's some things not right in our heart. We need more of God's grace changing us, molding us. Paul adds another uh, supporting statement here in verse 30. To admonish us to put away corrupting speech, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And it takes us back to uh, chapter 1 where he taught us there that the, the Spirit of God is the guarantee of that day of redemption. And he's talking about a, a seal or, or a guarantee that God's going to complete that which he has begun. And in that day when we are called home to be with him or the Lord returns, um, we are going to um, have this completed work of God in us, we'll have a, we'll have a, a transformed body, uh, and um, that work will be finished that God has started. And the Holy Spirit of God, he says here, is, is with us, and he is like a seal on a document that uh, can't be broken. And God, God is guaranteed to us. And what a great gift that is, the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. And, and so Paul will use that truth here to say, don't grieve him. In other words, our corrupting speech are words that break others down, that, uh, th- that is um, ill-tempered and uh, angry words, words that have no fault for others, words that just want to express you know, what I want and let people have it. All of that kind of corrupting talk grieves the Spirit of God. It also highlights the fact that He is a person. He's not just an influence from God or a a power from God. He is God, dwelling person of the Spirit of God. And so we must ever be aware of His presence and let His grace flow from our hearts to others. Fourthly, he says, put away bitterness and put on forgiveness. In this, in verse 31, Paul gives a whole list of sinful attitudes and actions that uh, must be put out of our lives. And at the end of that list, he says, along with all malice, and malice is a, a general term for wickedness or, or depravity. It's a, it describes the world without Christ. But Paul is writing to believers, and it should warn us to the danger that not repenting of our sin and turning to God in confession of our sins, if we just allow ourselves to hold on to sin, sin and sinful attitudes and actions, it grows and it corrupts us. It corrupts our hearts and our minds. Verse 30, 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Paul puts bitterness right at the beginning of that uh, list of things there. And it, it may be because it is a heart issue that he's thinking of. The heart issue of bitterness will manifest itself in these other vices in, in this list. And uh, it does so because... As we allow resentment or um, 
any really any negative thinking to remain in our hearts and towards other people, it festers in the heart. And uh, it's uh, something that we need to be aware of and to put off immediately. It, it's, it comes as we have envy in our hearts towards someone or, or resentment towards someone. that They did something. They said something. They sh- uh, you know, whatever it might be, they didn't treat your children well or they should have done that, or they said this. All of those things, if we uh, allow that that sense of wrong to remain in our hearts, it becomes bitterness. Um, John MacArthur has a a good uh, note here. I want to read for you, really describing this idea of bitterness. He says, it reflects a smoldering resentment, a brooding, grudge-filled attitude. It is the spirit of irritability that keeps a person in perpetual animosity, making him sour and venomous. Good description, isn't it? Bitterness. And, and you may be thinking, well, I, I, don't, I don't ever get that way. Well, I hope that's true. But, but more than likely, we've all experienced that sense of bitterness that if we don't put it away, if we don't confess it, if we don't go and, 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 and try to resolve issues that need to be resolved in our personal relationships. If we just, you know, try to uh, just, well, we'll just, we'll just give that person the silent treatment or, or maybe you blow up in anger or however you're, you're dealing with it. Those are all ways in which um, must be put off. Bitterness is the opposite of what we must put on, which is forgiveness. When you're wronged or hurt, or you feel like you're not treated in the way they should be treated, you hold on to it, or are you quick to forgive? He goes on here to describe, he says, wrath and anger. Uh, Wrath really speaks more of the outburst of anger. Anger is more of the internal uh, feelings and emotions that we allow to remain oftentimes, which can lead to wrath, the outburst. Clamor is, is loud shouting of the person who wants everybody to know they're angry. Slander is speaking against someone with the effort, with the desire to hurt that person's testimony or cause them to, reputation to be hurt. As we think about all of these um, descriptive words here that he's listed, we must ask ourselves, how do we keep our hearts from becoming so wicked, so evil, so bitter? And he gives us the answers to put on forgiveness in verse 32, but be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave. The kind and tender-hearted are words that describe the opposite of being harsh and hard-hearted. It, it's used of God's attitude towards those who wronged Him. It was kind. Uh, the end of Paul puts in there, verse thirty-two, this supported supporting statement to encourage us and instruct us about putting on forgiveness. He says as God in Christ forgave you. Notice he doesn't say because God in Christ forgave you. That would also be true. Uh, But he says as, which is really a stronger statement. One is because God did that, we should do this. The other is notice how he did that. And you do it the same way. (laughs) Now that's that's an admonition is that we put on forgiveness the way God puts on forgiving us. Matthew 18 is probably a a good illustration of that there in, in, from verse 21, uh, the parable that Christ gave of the unforgiving servant. You remember the parable. It's where the, 
the servant came to the master who owed this debt that was incredibly large. It's, it's larger than, than life, uh, and it's almost so, so large, to, it's, it's hyperbole to make the point, incredibly large debt. And, and he begs the, the master to forgive the debt, and the master does forgive the debt, sets him free on his way. He goes out, finds uh, someone under him that owes him, a, a, in comparison, an extremely small debt, but he's unforgiving, he's harsh, and he's hard-hearted towards that servant and has him thrown into a prison. And when the master finds out, he says, you wicked and evil servant, I forgave you, you not have forgiven also, and he throws him into prison. And the point there is obvious that we who have been get forgiven so much, how can we turn around and hold on to things in our heart against our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and not be forgiven, but not be forgiving. And so when you compare what God has forgiven us, no one can sin against us enough to, um, to equal our sin against God because God is holy, completely holy and righteous God. And so we must be quick. And remembering what God has done for us helps. We keep that grace of God in our hearts it helps us. And so as we see this section, it, it, it points to uh, our outward actions, words in particular, attitudes that are, that are manifested in how we communicate with, with one another. But really, as we've tried to point out this morning, it really is a problem of the heart and not how we speak. It's the source is there in the heart where the problem lies. It's like the barometer that, uh, it's like the barometer of the heart, you could say. Our words are, you know, the barometer. It just it just shows you what the what the atmospheric pressure is. It doesn't change the pressure. It just shows you what's what's happening. And so is our words like that. It it it, it reveals what the attitudes of our heart are like. And so we are admonished to allow the Spirit of God to keep our hearts right. Jesus said in Luke six forty five, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we must we must keep putting off these things that are displeasing to the Lord, things that are not in character with who we are in Christ, and to keep putting on the things that God, through the work of the Spirit of God, is doing in our hearts to change us, to be more more like Christ. It's closing. Thank you, Father, for this admonitions that you've given us, Lord. And we thank you that you've um, saved us out of the world. You've forgiven us such a great debt. And more than that, you've, um, you've put your spirit within us, you've given us your word, and you've done everything for us so that we can live for you, and we can follow you. And I pray, Lord, that, um, that you would help us this morning, that we would uh, not sense um, that we're beaten down this morning, but that we're lifted up, because we have the spirit of God to, to enable us to change, to put off that which is not pleasing to you. And you empower us, Lord, by your working of the Spirit of God. And so help us, Father, to submit to you, to submit to your word, to be humble, and to allow you to change us, to, to put off old habits and to put on new and godly habits in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love.
Yeah. 